All right, let's get started, everybody. Good evening, everybody. It's uh, 7.32, so we're two minutes late already, so uh, let's get started. On Erev Shabbos, I raised the following three questions. I'm going to raise them again, and we'll see which ones uh, you would like to answer. Question number one is uh, that there's a man who is unfortunately on dialysis and has to schedule his dialysis treatments. The only day he can go will either be Shabbos or Yom Kippur. He cannot avoid going on one of those two days. Uh, It can't be moved to another day before or after. So is it better for him to go on Shabbos or to go on Yom Kippur? Which day should he choose as the day to uh, to go for his dialysis treatment? That was Shaila number one. Shaila number two, a uh, rabbi friend of mine texted me the following. Unusual situation. A 65-year-old woman, Nebuch, got sick and passed away. Her ex-husband and two 30-year-old sons are members of my shul. Only I just found out that after the couple separated 10 years ago and she moved in with someone else, they never actually finished the paperwork, not in secular court, nor in a Beisden. So they're still legally married. My assumption is that the sort of ex needs to do Kriya and Shiva like a regular husband, even though everyone in town thinks that they divorced 10 years ago and she's been living with someone else. And he's willing to do it if that's what the Allah requires. Just checking if there's something that I'm missing that would exempt him from a of Avelus. So that is Shaila number two. So they never actually halachically uh, got, uh, got divorced. Oh, let me admit someone else. They never actually halachically got divorced, but uh, they are legally, uh, nor legally got divorced, but uh, but uh, he has no, you know, but uh, they, they've, uh, you know, practically been divorced for all these years, so now the Shaila is, does he have to observe Avelos uh, upon her patira? Shaila number three. A fellow told me, a fellow who had moved out of a community a few years ago is now moving back into the community, and uh, he's looking for a home in uh, the community that he used to live in. So his wife was talking to one of her friends from the neighborhood, and it turned out that she had a friend who was selling her house in that uh, in that neighborhood. So he writes, they told us that there was somebody else that they were already in contract with, but they're not sure if they're going to get approved for the mortgage. They also said that if we were in interested, they would see if the prospective buyer would be willing to accept $20,000 to break the contract. They said they would only be doing this if they came to an agreement with the prospective buyer. We have not made an offer on the house yet, and I did not want to do so until I know if there's any problem, halachically or otherwise. I want our house to start out with bracha and shalom, so even if it's halachically permitted, but there is a hashkafic issue with this, I would not want to make an offer. I thought this may be okay, but since the other buyer would, since the other buyer would have to be in agreement and be compensated for it, otherwise it would not happen. So that is Shiloh number three. So again, Shiloh number one, uh, the uh, fellow on dialysis wants to know when to go for his treatment. Should he go on Yom Kippur or should he go on Shabbos? Shiloh number two, the uh, man whose wife died, but uh, they haven't been together for 10 years, and he wants to know, does he have to observe Avelos for her? And Shiloh number three, is there anything wrong with paying a uh, potential buyer for a house $20,000 to go away so that you can get the house instead? So these are the three Shilohs. Maybe we'll open up the uh, the chat for uh, for voting on the uh, the Shilohs, one, two, or three. Just let me know. Um, the, the, the situation with the divorce just sounds 
you know, full of interesting problems and solutions. <laughs> okay, so uh, should I take that as your vote for uh, <laughs> yes for, for that Shaila for number two? Okay, so Shlomo two two two. So it looks like Shaila number two wins. Oh, it's close. All right, so two and three. Those are the ones. No one, no one cares about the guy in dialysis. Okay, meaning uh, all right. So, uh, so let's let's do Shiloh's number two and three. So we'll start with Shiloh number two. It is an unusual situation. Now, uh, you know, off the cuff, off the cuff, what would you say? The fellow have to uh, sit shiva for uh, this person for for his ex-wife. What would you what would you tell you? Religiously, he's still married, and so is pasha, right? Of course, he has to sit shiva for her. How would he not? How would he not have a chiyuv to sit shiva for her? He, they're, they're married, they're husband and wife, right? Mila everything, Yerusha, the whole business, everything, everything would uh, would would be no gaya over here. I mean, he never he never had a chiyuv to pay her ksuba yet. Nothing, nothing like that. Um, she can't get remarried, right? Meaning they're 100% married, right? There's, not, there's nothing to talk about. So uh, um, we, uh, we called Rav Shachter, and immediately he said, no, nah, he doesn't have to sit Shiva. So what? Well, okay, so now that changes things a little bit. So let's talk a little bit about who you have to sit Shiva for and who you don't have to sit Shiva for, and why in the world, in this case, a person would not have to sit Shiva. So the Bryson Moi Katan and Chaf Amin Beis tells us that any, uh, any relative for whom a Kohen is allowed to be Metame himself, uh, a relative would also have to be misabel for, meaning the seven krovim that a Kohen is permitted to be metame himself for, those are the same krovim that a person practices avelus for, and you also have to be, uh, mis- you have, one has to be misabel uh, on achiv ha'achoso me'imo, and ha'achoso ha'nesua me'aviv, um, and, uh, the, and even though in those situations a Kohen would not be metame, meaning if you have a, uh, a maternal brother or sister, or a married paternal uh, sister, then uh, then the halach is a kohen would not be mitame, but nevertheless we're misabel, so we're misabel at least midrabanan. We're misabel only on the Zion krovim, but absolutely on the Zion krovim, meaning there doesn't seem that there are any exceptions. Um, the rush writes in Simulam and Hay in the third paragraph of Moed Katan that just like you have to be misabel al ishto, kachit shrichal misabel alav, she has to be misabel on the husband as well. But dafko ishto kshera unesua. Only if they have full nisuin and it's a kosher marriage. Aval psula o arusa lo. But if it's a non-kosher marriage to begin with, or she's uh, they only have arisen, they don't have nisuin yet, then uh, then then you don't have to uh, observe avelus. As opposed to b'no ubito achivachoso, then it doesn't matter whether they're apostle or not. If it's your son, your daughter, it doesn't matter how you produced that son or daughter and what kind of forbidden way that son or daughter was produced. Nor does it matter if you have a sibling how puzzly you are. You could all be a bunch of uh, mamzerim or psulim or whatever. It doesn't matter. You would still have to be Miss Abel uh, on on them. Uh, and the reason is because that's the halacha by Tuma as well. However, the Mordechai quotes a brisa in Masechah Smachos that an almana l'koin gadol or a grush of a chalutza l'koin adyot is misabel but not metame. So if a, if a man who's a kohen marries a grusha, so you're not allowed to do that. The kohen is not allowed to marry a divorced woman, but it happens sometimes. It uh, it happens uh, more than sometimes that a kohen who's uh, who's uh, who falls in love with a grusha and uh, they decide to get married. So often what they'll do is they'll find some rabbi to say that he's not really a kohen or that she's not really a grusha. You know they'll do one or one or the other. How, how how do you how do you do that? How do you pull off such a trick? So you can't really pull off such a trick. But the way they um, 
And the way they do it is that uh, they, they call into question his status of kahuna, uh, either by saying that, you know, well, if his parents or grandparents were Holocaust survivors, so his mother was really a shvuya, so if that's the case, then uh, she was probably Nivalala Pasala, uh, because maybe she was raped by a Nazi or something, and therefore he's not really a Kohen. They do all these kinds of, uh, these kinds of uh, cheshbonos, or uh, they'll say she's not really a Grusha, because the whole thing was a Kiddushe Taus. Had she known that the husband was going to be so uh, not nice to her, or the marriage was going to fall apart, then uh, she never would have accepted Kiddusha in the first place. So they'll, they'll do one or the other, and they'll make, but really, 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 a Kohen is not allowed to marry a Grusha. So if a Kohen marries a Grusha, the, uh, the, the Brysa, Mesecha Smachos, writes that, uh, that your Mesabel just not metame. So the Beis Yosef wonders how the Ramban and the Rush uh, reject a Brysa. So it could be that they hold, says the Beis Yosef, that the, that the Brysas love Bar Samcha, that we know there are Brysas that are more authoritative, Brysas that are less authoritative. Maybe they held that this was a less authoritative uh, Brysa. Now, w- what does that have to do with us? So all that's just about who you have to be misabil for. Okay, but what about a uh, couple that was married, they were, and it's not a, a, a Grusha le, le, le Kohen. They were, they were a perfectly kosher marriage when they got married. It's just that they never, they never finalized the divorce. Now, at this point, at this point in time, the uh, the woman has been doing something very terrible before she died for the last 10 years. She's been living with another guy. So that's pretty awful. That's pretty terrible. But, uh, but there's nothing, uh, but, but there, there was nothing wrong with, with that marriage, with the original marriage. Now one could argue, well, wait a second. Once she's nive- once she's say they were loading the car. Yeah, okay. Once she's Nivellas to somebody, once she's Nivellas to uh to, to somebody else, it does ruin their marriage because if she's Nivellas to somebody else, then uh, she's Kashem Shasura Lebowel. She's Asura to the Baal and to the Boel. Um, so she is Asura to her husband. So in that in that respect, the marriage is over uh, because uh, they're not allowed to stay married to each other. So maybe that would have the status of a, of a Pasala. But again, the Brysa said that a Grush of a Chalutz of Misabel, that you're not Metame, but you are Misabel. So the Chalutz would be like that, that you, you would still have to be uh, Misabel. So, uh, so the, the, uh, the, the basis for Heter over here is, uh, well, you could argue that that's one basis for Heter. They have the Machlokas between the Brysa versus the Ramban and the Rush, whether a Pussel uh, is, is, has to be Misabel. But, but aside from that, aside from that, uh, the real basis for Hetir here is a comment that Rabbi Kiveger has on the Shulchan Aruch. The Rabbi Kiveger in Simon Shin Ayin Dalid in Yaradea quotes a Yamshel Shlomo. And the Yamshel Shlomo writes that Mi Ktat Im Ishto. If a person had a uh, an argument with his wife or a fight with his wife, Vidaita and because of that he plans on divorcing her, Umesa, and then she drops dead, then she dies. The Yam Shoshoba says he does not have to be Masabal on her. Uh, why doesn't he have to be Masabal on her? So he doesn't explain uh, right right away. But uh, the Svara is, the Achronim point out, is that uh, there is a Shita of Rabbi Shimon, that Kivan Shanasan Ein of Lagarsha, Shuv Ein La Peros, that once the husband decides to be Megarish, his wife, she loses certain rights, certain financial rights in the marriage, and therefore the marriage is considered to be 
you know, just like normally the way it works is like Kiddushin, marriage happens in stages, right? There's a, there's Kiddushin, then there's Nisuin, so it happens in stages. Divorce? Not in stages. Divorce, a get, and that's it. And they're divorced. Get Krisus, Dabra Kores, Beinolavena. It's final. There, there can't be anything that, that would uh, that, that would hold back the divorce. If, uh, the Mishnah says in Gittin, if a man gives his wife a get, Almanas, that she's never going to go to the base of the base of Via, that she's never going to go to her father's house ever again. So uh, so the, the get is an invalid get because she can always invalidate it by going to her father's house. And then it's not a Dabra Kores, Beinolavena. A get is it. That's the whole thing. But says Rabbi Shimon, not exactly. Meaning there is a way to be partially divorced before you finalize the divorce. And that is Nasanein of Lagarsha. So once you get to that point of Nasanein of Lagarsha, so she loses the rights to the Peros. And even though we don't paskin like Rabbi Shimon, when it comes to Peros, we paskin like Rabbi Shimon. Why? Because we have a principle, halacha, kedivrea mekel ba'avel. That there's a principle that we're always, we always go lakula when it comes to, uh, when it comes to avelus. A lot of times people misunderstand that principle. They think it means that you could do whatever you want when it comes to avelus. That's not, that's not what the principle means. You can't do whatever you want when it comes to avelus. I think it was, uh, that, 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 um, that that impression has been fed by uh, by the original art scroll Hilchos Avelis book because the original art scroll of the Laws of Mourning is so uh, thorough that it, it it just quotes every shita. So if you're not used to uh, halachic discourse and uh, you're just reading a book that's uh, like an encyclopedia and that has every shita, it makes it sound that nobody could agree about anything and therefore whatever you want is fine because uh, somebody will say whatever uh, whatever you want. Meaning more helpful probably would have been a book that has a mahalich and that uh, tells you what the psak is, and then in the footnotes we'll say, by the way, this is a machlokas, that's a machlokas, this is what it's based on. So I think it must be that Art Scroll realized this problem, because uh, they, they put out another Hilchos Avelis, but I don't think they've ever done that before, where they had a book on the halachos of X, and then Art Scroll, the same publisher, put out another book, the halachos of the same thing. Um, so the original, The Laws of Mourning by Art Scroll, was, uh, was, was was a translation of a sefer called Pnei Baruch, which is like the classic easy Avela sefer in Hebrew. So uh, they translated it, they threw in a few of Rav David Feinstein's Piskei Alacha, because uh, he's the posik for art school, I think, and, uh, and, 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 they, and they put it out. But the, the newer one was put together by Rav Simcha Bunim Kohn, and uh, it's much more aligned with uh, his the style of his other svarim, of the Simcha Bunim Kohn's other svarim, the Shabbos Kitchen, and the Shabbos Home, and the Radiance of Shabbos, and the Sanctity of Shabbos, all the Shabbos svarim that he has, and uh, Children in Allah, where he basically paskins like Rav Meisha and pretty much everything, and then he lets you know in the footnotes when there's a disagreement about it. Um, and it's, uh, and it's a very clear and very well done and provides much more hadracha. So I think, I think that was part of the issue. Had people used, uh, I mean, people did use for many, many years, of course, the classic, the classic English book on Avelis was uh, Rabbi Maurice Lamb's Akrona Levracha, who my, uh, my former uh, neighbor, he lived around the corner. Uh, one of the, the great relationships my wife and I have in our life is uh, a wonderful relationship with Rebetzin Lamb. She should uh, continue to live and be well and in good health. Um, uh, that uh, Rabbi Maurice Lamb sold over a million copies of uh, the the Jewish Way in Death and Mourning, over a million copies. Uh, that is like I don't I I I can't imagine a book of halacha 
uh, ever sold more than a million copies. That has to be, uh, you know, that, that has to be, Rav Shechter helped him out on it, actually. I remember when Rav Shechter came for a Shabbos, he wanted to visit Rabbi Lam. When Rabbi Lam was sick already, so Rav Shechter came for, Rabbi Lam was sick for a long time at the end of his life. So when Rav Shechter came for a Shabbos, he wanted to go visit him. Uh, so I said, what's your connection? I knew he's connected with Rabbi Norman Lam because he worked for him for all those years. Uh, so he said, oh, we had such an enjoyable summer together. We were in K- Kiryat Shmona, I think. I don't know where they were for a summer once. I don't know. But, uh, but uh, maybe it was Kiryat Arba. I don't know. They were somewhere for a summer uh, together. And, uh, and they... Uh, and uh, they, they uh, and he said, and when he wrote the book, he, uh, you know, he knew all the, he, he, he did a lot of research on the halacha, but he didn't know like what the minhagim were, what people actually did. So I helped him out in uh, formulating the halachic uh, sections of the work. But there's a lot of hashkatha in that uh, in that book as well. It was very very well done. So uh, I always uh, tell uh, tell people that you know he, a million copies of a book of halacha. I said, you know, I published two books of halacha. I made uh, you know thirteen hundred copies copies of one and a thousand copies of the other and they're all in my basement right now so you know <laughs> they're not actually all in my basement thank god we're, we're running low but uh baruch hashem but uh anyway it's, it's a pretty impressive number so anyway so so where were we ah so people have this impression that you can do whatever you want so part of that impression is created from the fact that if you just see an encyclopedic work you get that feeling the other part of the impression is there is a halachic principle called halacha so people think oh halacha Mekel. I could do whatever I want because you can, you can pass them like the Mekel Bayavel. But that's not really what Allah Kedivrei Mekel Bayavel is. Rav uh, Moreno Rav Willig Shlita pas, um, uh, taught Hilchas Havelis this past summer, and at the end he had a question answer session with the guys. So one of the uh, Smicha fellows asked him, uh, why is it that you paskin this, that, and the other thing? He had a list of all of Rabbi Willig's Chumras and Hilchas Havelis. So Rabbi Willig said, doesn't mean that you're never allowed to pask in a shayla. A person is still allowed to pask in a shayla. It means that when there's a machlokas tanoim, there's the way the Rishonim paskin, you know, when it comes to these things. But uh, it's a major debate. We even say it in Rishonim that maybe that's only a rule in tanoim and amoraim. But bottom line is, the marshal says that the reason we're allowed to assume kivan shenosan einov legarsha Shuv, that, that, that he doesn't have to be misabal on her anymore once he's decided to divorce her is because the halacha kedivrei we could pass like Rabbi Shimon uh, even though we don't pass like him in the original context about peros there are a couple of problems with this the base mayor in Ebna Ezer Simon Sadi Sifei says wait a second even Rabbi Shimon lo kamer el saget says the base mayor. The, 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 the only time Rabbi Shimon says is once the get has been written. If the get hasn't yet been written, then he's just meaning what, what the base mayor is pointing out is that this this Psak of the Amshel Shlomo seems to be based on a misunderstanding of the phrase Nasan Ein of Lagarsha. Nasan Ein of Lagarsha doesn't just mean he thinks about divorcing her, it means that he already commissioned a sofer to write the get, Lishma, to write the get for, uh, for her. And that's where he just hasn't delivered it yet, he hasn't given it to her yet. So that's where we say that. Uh, that 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 that's where Rabbi Shimon would say they're partially divorced, so to speak. So the base mayor writes that that's a major kasha on the marshal, but then he says, 
Lomelani libi lachlok kivin the kvar hora zaken that uh, that I can't uh, I can't be cholik on him because kvar hora zaken the marshal is the marshal so I'm not going to go and be cholik on the marshal. Kivayegr quotes this marshal approvingly so apparently that's the halacha even though I don't understand it in the sefer pnei baruch simintas footnote dalit he quotes another problem there is a chuvas maharash dam in Evan ezer simin ayin hey where he says that that's only this whole Shita is only when the husband is able to only applied when the husband was able to divorce his wife Bal Karcha. But nowadays we have a Cherem Rabbeinu Gershom that not to be Megarish Bal Karcha, so it's not Biyado Legarsha, so the whole Svara doesn't apply. Meaning, why is it that Kibbutz Shnasayin Legarsha we view it as if they're halfway to divorce because that's all you need. Once the husband has made his decision, it's completely Biyado to make it happen, and he can go and divorce her whether she likes it or not, even if she's not interested in uh, in receiving a divorce. He could just uh, throw it at her and she has to take it and that's it. And then they're divorced. But once Rabbeinu Gershom came along and he made a cherim that you're not allowed to do that anymore. So uh, then the... Uh, once Rabbeinu Gershom came along, that you're not allowed to you're not allowed to do that anymore. So then the whole svara is not shaykh anymore. So this is an interesting thing because this relies on the chem Rabbeinu Gershom being uh, um, still being in in existence, right? The chem Rabbeinu Gershom was implemented ad sof ha'elaf. So what exactly that meant was up to debate whether it means until the end of the millennium or until uh, or until the end of a thousand years from the time that it was made. But uh, but uh, it's 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 a question whether the Chem Drabenu Gershom is still intact. Now uh, Svardim assume many Svardim, some Svardim assume that uh, we don't have to observe the Chem Drabenu Gershom at all. And uh, they married like one of the more famous elements of the Chem Drabenu Gershom is not to marry more than one wife. And there are certain Svardim, not uh, obviously not the majority anymore, but there were certain Svardim that would marry more than one wife because uh, the Chem Drabenu Gershom is over. So there's no reason to uh, to observe a cherem drabenu gershom. On the other hand, we Ashkenazim still observe it b'taras minhag cherem drabenu gershom. But it's b'taras minhag. It may not be b'taras din anymore. B'taras cherem. Rav Shachter often points out that most of the things in cherem drabenu gershom are usher anyway. Meaning, it's not like uh, beforehand it was totally okay to just divorce a wife balkarcha. That it was like uh, you know perfectly menschlich and uh, the night thing to do without ever going for uh, marital therapy or ever discussing it or just walking home one day ah you burnt my food like you, you learned the mission at the end of Gittin it's alright that's the one of the, the anomalies of Masechah's Gittin is that uh, the Masechah is written backwards that the, uh, the the last mission in Gittin is uh, what's a good reason to divorce a wife so the, the Shita in Tanayim that uh, that she burns his food so that's enough reason to, uh, to divorce so you learn the mission and that's it you come home one day and you just uh, give the wife the get, and she's like, "What's this? Ah, too late. We're divorced, right?" He has to aid in there, and then that, so that that was never mentioned. It's not like before Rabbeinu Gershom came along, it was okay to hack into someone's email and read all their mail, right? That that wasn't okay. Where Rabbeinu Gershom just added a cherim to it. He made it uh, much more uh, severe by uh, by putting putting a cherim to it. But it, it's interesting. The fact that cherim to Rabbeinu Gershom exists does play a role in halacha. Elsewhere as well, another famous halacha. There is a Gemara Mesechas Ksuvas, and I think we discussed this in one of these uh, rabbis' desks shirim once. There is a Gemara Mesechas Ksuvas that tells us that uh, once 
a couple is married, they're, uh, and they, they, it's usher to live together without your ksuba. Uh, there are always shilas like this that come up, where a couple loses their ksuba, they find a psul in their ksuba. I was once eating at someone's house for Shabbos lunch, and I was looking at the ksuba hanging on their wall, and I said, before you go to sleep tonight, let's just talk. You know, uh, there, was a, there, was a, there was a psul in their, uh, their ksuba, so... Uh, so, uh, you know, I remember talking to Rabbi Willig about that particular issue, that particular ksuba after Shabbos, because I needed to find a text of ksuba de ishtakach bata'usa. Ksuba de irkasa is easy to find, but ksuba de ishtakach bata'usa, it's a different text. You have to write a new ksuba for a ksuba that a mistake was found in. So I was on the phone with Rabbi Willig, and Rabbi Willig is very against hanging the ksuba on the wall. It's like, why would you hang something like that on the wall? So I, uh, so I said to Rabbi Willig, Maybe this is a good reason why people are showing it on the wall, so the rabbi could go to their house for lunch and find a psal. Otherwise, they're going to have a puzzle of ksuba their whole life. And Rabbi Willig's like, ah, you know, he doesn't didn't want to hear it. He was not uh, not interested in hearing that uh, that we should uh, that we should hang the ksuba on the wall. But anyway, so there is a halach that a couple's not allowed to live together without a ksuba. So some, I remember years ago there were fires in Israel on Nerev Shabbos. I forgot what, maybe in the Beit Meir neighborhood, somewhere somewhere like that. There were fires and uh, homes burned down in Nebuch. People had to leave their homes on uh, on Erev Shabbos, and they could. But then they realized right before Shabbos. Our ksubas. We had we had that with Sandy over here also. There were people on uh, in in Woodmere or Cedar Bay Park where the, where they, they they had to be rescued on boats from the top floor of their house because the water came so high and uh, and their ksubas were gone. And now what? Now they're, they're not allowed to be together that night. So what do you do? So it happens to be there's a rama that a lot of people are, are are unaware of for some reason. The rama writes that the idea that you're not allowed to live together without a ksuba that was then. That was before. There was a Chaim Drabin Gershom because the reason you can't live together without a ksuba is because the reason you need to have a ksuba in the first place is Shalote Kalabe in that it shouldn't be easy for a husband to divorce his wife. We want it to be difficult to divorce his wife. So if there's no ksuba, it's easy, it's cheap, it's nothing. But if uh, if there's a ksuba, so then he's going to have to think twice. Well, wait a second, what's this going to cost me? It's going to cost me like $30,000. Not so interested anymore. I would think it through before, uh, before I go and give the uh, and, and give the get. So uh, that's the point of it, that it makes it more difficult for the husband on a whim to just divorce his wife. So uh, says the Ramah, nowadays, that's not necessary anymore because he can't divorce his wife on a whim anyway because he doesn't have that power to be Magari Shanisha Bal Karcha because we have a Chemer Drabbein Gershom that says that you're not allowed to be Magari Shanisha Bal Karcha. So once you have a Chemer Drabbein Gershom that says you're not allowed to do it anyway, you don't need the Ksuba to be able to live together. So that's, that's very helpful sometimes in these extenuating circumstances to be able to point to that Ramah. Or if you have a couple that discovers that after years the Ksuba's been puzzled the whole time to be able to say, don't worry, you didn't even violate that, didn't of not living together without a ksuba because really uh, the Ramah Paskins maker at now that we have Chem Derbin Gershom, you're allowed to live together without a ksuba. So here also you have this idea that Pnei Baruch writes in the name Marash Dam that the whole idea that uh, you're partially divorced, so to speak, when in Nasanein of Lagarsha, that's only when it was beco- when it was biyado to complete the divorce, to then uh, to then just give her the get and then and end the whole thing. But nowadays that we have Chem Derbin Gershom, he can't do that anymore, and therefore 
the uh, the marshal should no longer apply. So again, what was the big kula? Rabbi Kivega from the Amshel Shlomo that we pass him like Rabbi Shimon because uh, because But we poke two major holes in that. Number one, the base mayor pointed out that uh, that 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 that's only if Mishas Ksivas Haget. It's not before there was a Ksivas Haget. And number two, we have the Marash Dam who says that that only applies before Chaim Drabenu Gershom. After Chaim Drabenu Gershom, the whole idea does doesn't apply anymore. Nevertheless, in Chuvas Yabia Omer, Chelek Vav, Yeridea, Simon Lamed Hay, uh, Ravad Yosef writes, Lukula. He writes that you would not have to uh, sit shiv in such a case, Ubiprat Be'eretz Yisrael, Shepashat HaMinag Lahakal Bazeh, where the Minag has already become to be Mekel on that Shaila. So Ravadia Paskins, that, uh, that Lukula in such a case. Now it happens to be, Rav Shechter passed in the same way. As soon as we asked the Shailat Rav Shechter, he immediately said, Rabbi Kivegr, quotes a marshal. No, it's like, uh, he was, you know, sometimes you have these things where you think, like, when's this ever going to come up? You know, and you don't even pay attention to the Maramakam. But Rav Shechter has this incredible memory for detail. And uh, right away, Rabbi Kivegr quotes a marshal. It's, it's, it's mutter. So, uh, so that's, uh, that, that was the psak. Despite these major kashas on the, uh, the psak, one could also argue a third issue over here. Here is that Nasanain of Lagarsha? I don't know. It's been 10 years and he never decided to divorce her. 10 years they've been apart, 10 years they've moved on with their lives, and he never thought for a moment. I mean, I don't know if he never thought for a moment, but he, but he, but he uh, yeah, gave it's a good question. How often does that happen? Every so that becomes a minute. I don't know. But, uh, but that's a, uh, that's it's a, I don't know if that counts as Nasanain of uh, Lagarsha. Uh, but that's what I guess. I guess he's understanding that it means that uh, they, if they stop living as husband and wife, with no plans of ever returning to living as husband and wife, which certainly seems to have been the case over here. Okay, so that is the uh, that is the answer to uh, to that question. Well, I guess uh, maybe there will be other opportunities to get to some of the other questions. Everyone should have a wonderful Shabbos. Thank you for coming, and Bez Hashem, we'll try to do this 7:30 on Thursday nights uh, this year. Yes, sir. Yeah.